Borg, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. You will listen. Resistance is futile. You must comply. Fleet Command and the official tissue factory for the Federation. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings one and all. Welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. We're very excited you're here for our 150th episode. Mm. Wow. It's, uh, it's amazing to us. I mean, 100 seems like it was so long ago, and I suppose in a way it was. But uh, here we are for 150, and we're going to talk about one of our favorite episodes tonight. And of course, our implies that I have help doing this. I do. He's my co-host on Trek Geeks for all 150 episodes, believe it or not. I haven't fired him yet, even though Andy Robinson is waiting in the wings as we speak. I mean, I see him right over there. Or, well, not really, but I kind of see him over there. He's a blubbering mess, and he has snot bubbles coming out his nose right now. I think it's because he's watched this week's episode. He's the very inconsolable Dan Davidson. Dan... Welcome aboard, buddy. Do you need a hug? <laughs> Actually, I'm crying because we have cameras going on our podcast today, but I digress. Um, yeah, it's great to be here as always, Bill. Episode 150. Wow, that's just half the amount of time that it took us to do the full 100 twice. <laughs> it actually is it's, wow it's, i actually got that right i'm not even sure how i did that i'm but, not uh, sure you actually did get it right but i'm just going with it because it makes for good podcasting that's right no it's great to be here episode 150 um we're going to be talking about what what we believe to be star trek's finest hour and that is season four's episode the visitor uh just an amazing episode uh there's so much to talk about and uh i can't wait to get to get right into it because i'll probably be crying during the podcast it's a definite possibility. I hope you have some tissues handy. Um, I know I don't either. Um, I'm wearing a t-shirt. That's really all that matters. And um, it, it's an episode that I think is is just beautiful. It's the word that I keep coming back to. You figure this is the second episode of season four. It's right, right on the heels of the way of the warrior. And it, it is it, it is a, a masterful piece of writing and directing. Uh, as we discussed last week on Theater Skip It, season four is an incredibly strong season, and the visitor yes, is. is no exception. No exception at all. As, and as I said, and I stand by it, I think it is quite possibly the best episode of Star Trek ever. Um, it is just so strong. It's such a well written, well directed, well um scored all oh, the music in this is just unbelievable everything about this episode is just fantastic and uh i'm glad we're talking about it here during deep space nine's uh, 25th anniversary still as we continue along with this uh 2018 
We're going to be doing a lot of Deep Space Nine in the weeks remaining. Uh, you figure we've got just over three months left of the year. Hard to believe that this 2018 has flown by as fast as it has, but there is still a lot of Deep Space Nine to talk about. Dan, there's also a lot of things to talk about in general, and people may want to share their thoughts with us. How might they get that feedback to us, my friend? Well, it is very easy to get in touch with us. Just head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you'll find a variety of ways to get in touch with Bill, with myself, or maybe with both of us at the very same time. You never know. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message, or you can even click on the big blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a voice message every week using SpeakPipe. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, uh, you know, as always, we would love it if you join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. There's always great things happening over there. Star Trek talk, Star Trek picks, contests, polls, the Friday commute celebration, and a whole lot more. To join the group, just head right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And uh, you'll be let right on in by one of our wonderful admins, and you'll be able to partake in all the fun right away. But please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Bill, back to you. Let's go. Wow. Uh, here you are trying to get us back on track, and we were never off track, Mon Frere. I, I appreciate that. I'm going to change the type on the typing and the message on this to get rid of that word message because I can't do it. You just did it. Yeah, but not with voice message. See? <laughs> It's it's very fresh. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it has that certain je ne sais quoi, mm. which I, uh, means I do not know. I have no idea what it means, so I guess uh, I'm good there, too. Damn. Bill. It's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's treknews.net. That's how I feel every time I talk to you, that, that part at the end. Online at treknews.net. Dan, just a couple of stories this week. Uh, we've got some interesting developments. Uh, last weekend, Carl Urban, Bones in the Kelvin Timeline movies, was in Ticonderoga, New York, at the official Star Trek series, uh, original series set tour. Mm -hmm. And he had some interesting comments regarding the possibility of a Quentin Tarantino-helmed Star Trek. Yes, he does. Yes, he did. And yes, he will. See, it could be a time travel movie. You don't even know it because I just threw all that in there. Wow. But yeah, he, yeah, pretty good, huh? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Carl Urban talks about how Tarantino went into J.J. Uh, Abrams' office and pitched him an idea for the Star Trek movie. And he knows a little bit about what it is. And as he says, it's, quote, bananas. Uh, so they're writing it right now. Um he is currently making a film with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. And I believe he's talking about Tarantino when Carl says this. So it's going to be a year away from finishing it, he says. Uh, and it would be really rad to get to make a film with him. So I guess a lot of people are looking forward to the Quentin Tarantino possible Star Trek movie. Um, it would be a dream come true for Carl, he says. Um, and whether you like his films or not, he's a good filmmaker. And he makes interesting stuff. So in addition to that... 
also saying that he feels that the salary dispute with Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth will be resolved so that Star Trek Four can be made. Looks like he's uh, looking forward to possibly a Star Trek Q with Quentin Tarantino. Interesting and that you call it that and not Star Trek Five because that has its own connotation. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I think the other interesting thing that he brought out is says it would be rated R for the horror of space and not because it's going to be full of obscenity and stuff. True, true. Which makes me, uh, it makes me wonder how much gore we're going to have. I mean, I think back to Kill Bill Volume 1 and the mm. gallons, gallons of fake blood that was used in the in the 100 Samurai scene. Um, you know, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we need to see somebody get disemboweled or, or mm. you know, uh, frozen to death in space, although we've seen that. We have. Tasha. Uh, um, Tasha? Well, she didn't get frozen was, in she, space. Well, that's right. It wasn't in space. It was in the courtroom. I'm sorry. I digress. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, or even at the end of Beyond. That's you know, true. When, uh, when Edison was, yeah. was sucked out into that weird hole from the weird space station which made no sense to me, but I liked it. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's interesting. You and I have talked before about whether or not we want to see a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek film. Um, it's interesting to see some of these quotes from people like Carl Urban who are so big into it and think it would be a great uh, movie because they appreciate Quentin's work. But we've talked about it, and he just, you just kind of touched on it. Is it the type of movie that we as Star Trek fans would be willing to embrace? And I, 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 right now, I don't know. I'm not saying no. I'm not saying yes. I have to kind of, kind of see what it's going to be about, see some trailers, see some interviews before I make any kind of decision. For all the people who complain that modern Star Trek lacks Roddenberry's vision, yeah. I, I have a hard time believing that this Star Trek would capture the Roddenberry vision, something that Carl Urban believes in. True. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Yep. So, well, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's it's certainly not set in stone, and just because it's being written doesn't mean it's going to be produced. So uh, we shall see. Dan, moving on, at Fan Expo in Toronto, Canada, Sonequa Martin-Green and the Star Trek Discovery cast tease some pretty juicy stuff for season two of Discovery, including season- our favorite Vulcan. Season two of what? What are you talking about? Uh, Star Trek Discovery. It's a little show that that you may have heard of. I'm not sure. I know. I'm so excited. Season two. Yes. Uh, it, it, what's cool about this is fan expo. They just basically had to drive down the street from the set. So yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yes. Uh, Sonequa did tease some juicy storylines. Um, Doug Jones took part in, uh, in the discussion as well as Anthony Rapp when uh, uh, they were talking about some uh, of the teasers um, as Sonequa wrapped up talking about Spock, where she said, you know, it's 10 years before TOS and, and Burnham is connected with Sarek and Amanda and Spock. She just thinks it's, gr- it's great. She says, quote, I end up being two degrees separated from Captain Pike. And that is really interesting, too, to be able to have that sort of connection to the canon. And I really love that. That's just so great. I mean, we've talked about before how amazing all of this cast is. But uh, after she talked about some of the teasers, Doug Jones jumped in and said, hey, wait until you see Ethan Peck as Spock. To which Martin Green said, oh, yes. Anson Mount said, hot Spock. And Anthony Rapp chimed in with hot Spock it. This group is awesome. I love them all. <laughs> what you gonna love? Uh, uh, hot Spock it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 
I somehow I knew you were going to do that, and I'm strangely okay with it. I don't really <laughs> understand. And and we say it's juicy, but that was Sonequa Martin Green's word. Yeah, you know, uh, she said that that the storyline itself is juicy. So that makes me wonder exactly what's going on. I mean, obviously, if they've cast Spock, that means he's going to play a, a pretty decently sized role. I would think, yeah. Um, but I. I at this point, I just want early 2019 to get here already. I don't want to wish the year away, but come on. I know. You cannot get here. Oh, it's only three months when you look about it. So that's not too bad. You know, it's, you know. A little bit. The other thing that was interesting about this is Anson Mount, who's playing Captain Christopher Pike in Star mm-hmm. Trek Discovery's second season, says that he's really just started, starting to feel like he's getting into the groove of Captain Pike. And I think that's really interesting. Groove is in the heart. All right, enough with the songs. Um, <laughs> it's what what I find interesting about that um, discussion that Anson had is is I, I got to imagine they're deep into filming the season so far, um, and what we've seen from the trailer, he looked fantastic as it, and for him to just be getting into the Pike groove, we, we kind of it kind of makes me hope that he's in in a lot more than just some of season two. Uh, but we'll see. You know, he he does say that he has mad respect for Jeff Hunter, but he needed to come into the Pike character in his own way. Um, and he feels it's hard to establish a character in the second season. Um, and it's been, quote, a dance between me and the writers to figure it out. So he feels like he's getting into the groove of the court of the character. Um, and I was also happy to see in this uh, article in regards to the fan expo that we're going to see some more quote, badass Tilly in season two. And that's never a bad thing uh, ever. <laughs> what the heck? What the, what the, what the hell? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it'll be interesting to see where Tilly goes. I mean, she, she clearly has had a lot of uh, interesting development in the first season. I love where they left her character at the end. And uh, the sky is really kind of the limit for her. So I, I'm looking forward to see what happens in season two. Yeah, absolutely. And and more hints on the, se- uh, on the season uh, of Discovery. Uh, Stamets will be facing life after the Spore Drive, which we all knew was going to be coming. And it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And Doug Jones ponders what a life without fear would mean for our beloved Saru. So there's going to be a lot of, I think, great character development coming in season two, which is something that we love so much about Deep Space Nine. So to see it in something this new with Star Trek Discovery is something I'm looking forward to. Well, you know, one of the things that will develop for us is we'll get to see Doug Jones in Mm. less than a week at Granite State Comic Con in Manchester, New Hampshire at the Manchester Downtown Hotel this coming weekend, September 8th and 9th. And Dan, you and I are hosting a Star Trek Discovery panel on Sunday, September 9th at 11 a.m., uh, so if anybody's going to be in the New England area and stopping by Granite State Comic Con, please come check out our panel. We're going to be giving away some really cool fan sets pins, too, which is a, a pretty uh, new announcement. So uh, <laughs> that's uh, I'm excited. We're going to have a great time talking season one, looking ahead to season two and the juiciness, um, as, as Sonequa says. Nice. We're going to have a great time, buddy. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm I'm hoping to see, oh, I don't know, maybe Doug or Sarah or Sam pop into the panel and just say hi and wave their hands and be like, hey, guys. But uh, we'll see. Uh, anybody who is going to be up in the Manchester area, we would love for you to swing by. And like Bill said, get a chance to win some pretty cool fan sets pins. Never a bad thing. Now, some people have asked if this is going to be recorded. We're going to hope to try to get it that way. We've been informed that the venue does not have a setup for recording. 
Um, so we're going to see what we can do. Um, we can't promise the audio will be great, but perhaps we'll, we'll put it out there and make it available as a supplemental. Um, we shall see, but, uh, next Sunday, September 9th at 11 AM at the Manchester downtown hotel as part of Granite state comic con, come see our star Trek discovery panel. Let's fill that room and talk some great Trek. Now, of course, this week's episode of Trek Geeks is being brought to you by Fansats and Dan. They have released what could be described as a long-awaited pin. I know it's long-awaited for you, my friend, because it, is, because it is your favorite ship. And yes, as we record just yesterday, uh, two days ago, sorry, because <laughs> today's a holiday. I forgot. I thought it was Sunday. Um, the USS Enterprise Constitution Class Refit ship pin was released from fansets and i'm looking at it right now on the fansets website and bill i gotta tell you it is gorgeous you love it i love it it actually is sitting in the space dock it appears still which i thought was a really great detail that the guys of fansets put in this pin uh i can't wait to get it and put it in my giant pin case that i got at stlv this year and just a little little fyi uh, yours will be coming in a couple days also there you oh, go. Very excited about yeah, this. I can't wait to I can't wait to get this thing. I mean, I love all the fan sets pins. That's that's no you know secret to anybody who listens to Trek Geeks or certainly to you. But uh, you're right. This is a pin that I've been waiting for since we first met the fan sets folks at STLV a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I love the 1701 refit. I mean, the first time I saw it on the screen in the motion picture, and although that scene you know, some people will say is way too long where Scotty is touring Kirk around the enterprise. It just makes my heart melt every time I see it. And to have that ship now on a pin, it just makes me the happiest Trekkie on the planet, buddy. Well, good. It, it's, uh, it's been worth the wait, I think is the best way to put it. Um, it feels like we've been waiting since that scene in Star Trek, the motion picture to get this <laughs> pin. So thanks Lou for finally getting it out to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Here's the other thing, too. So, you know, we know Fansets is releasing a couple of different pins every month on the 15th. So just in a couple of in a couple of weeks, we're going to get a brand new character pin from Fansets. And it's uh, now Lieutenant Kayla Detmer from Star Trek Discovery. You know, she's the helm officer of the Discovery, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a character that I think they keep building on and growing on, which I think is going to be fantastic. Hopefully we see more of Detmer in season two and learn more about her backstory. I'd love to find out about that. That Absolutely. Ocular, that ocular implant, which is what it appears to be, mm-hmm. um, that I'm guessing she suffered as a part of an injury in Battle of the Binary Stars. But uh, time will tell. But that one's coming on the 15th, Dan. And that's going to be one that I add to my collection in no time. You can bet on that. I love the fact that uh, Fansets is releasing one pin every couple of weeks. It lets you stay uh, up to date with what they're doing. And we get to see some great pins coming out. And uh, I just I just can't wait to see what's coming down the road. And I, I 100% agree with you. I think that that um, injury she sustained was in the battle of the binary stars. And I hope that we get some kind of uh, explanation to actually what happened and what that does. But we'll see. But Oh, you, please, you jump right right on in. Yeah, I wanted to say <laughs> one of the interesting things about Kayla Detmer is that believe it or not, her name and her bio was actually crafted by author David Mack for the book Desperate Hours. So they've actually adopted her name for the show based on 
David's novel work, which I think is fascinating. So that just makes me appreciate this character even more. That's fantastic. I was not aware of that, and uh, I appreciate you uh, letting me know. That is very cool. I I wanted to go over and, and say hi to her um, at STLV. Uh, the opportunity never arose, but uh, maybe we'll see her at an upcoming convention uh, somewhere down the road. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe at a Denver convention sometime. You never know. You never know. So, but uh, hey, for those who are interested in grabbing this 1701 refit pin, uh, we're going to offer a special 15% discount off your entire order at fansets.com by simply entering the word Jake at checkout. All capital letters, J A. K-E. Code's going to be available until midnight on Monday, September 8th. So don't delay. Head right on over to fansets.com. And remember that Fansets is pinpoint accuracy. And we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. You know, the person who typed that is actually an idiot. It's actually Monday, September 10th. That's right. I was looking at the date. I'm like, oh, I'm sure that Bill typed it right. So I'm just going to go with it. But that's okay. Because I keep thinking today is Sunday and it's not. Which I've done already. uh, So my apologies. That is actually (laughs) Monday, September 10th until midnight. Uh, Get that code word into the Fansets website. Dan, we gather this week to consider what you and I think is perhaps Star Trek's finest hour. And that is certainly up for debate. Um, with some folks, but I mean, uh, as far as you and I are concerned, Star Trek really does not get any better than The Visitor. It is one of the most powerful episodes, and you don't need to have a lot of flair. You don't need to have a lot of special effects. You don't have to have this big, you know, these big uh, glorious fight scenes or anything like that. It is a true Star Trek story that pulls at your heartstrings from the very first opening scene. And I will say I watched it Friday night this past weekend with my wife who had never seen it until this showing that I watched it on. And it was great to watch with her. Now, what was her reaction when she saw it? Because, I mean, I know how you and I react to it because I think it's a different experience um, for men, possibly. But but what did she think of the episode? She loved it. Um, she didn't she she wasn't a weeping fool like I am, but uh, um, she really liked it uh, when it was done. She looked at me and she goes, uh, you okay? That's the first thing she said. <laughs> and then um, I said, I'm good. What did you think? She goes, that was really great. So, and that was, that was pretty much the extent of the conversation. But um, when she gives a thumbs up to a Star Trek episode, it's usually a good thing. So I think she liked it a lot. You know, it, it in researching this episode, I think the thing that surprised me the most was to find out that this episode was also written by the gentleman who wrote my other favorite episode of Beep Space Nine, and that's Michael Taylor. He wrote The Visitor, and he also wrote In the Pale Moonlight. Um, and and I I guess I'm now I'm not surprised when I look back in hindsight because for me, you know, those are one and two uh, as far mm. as episodes of Deep Space Nine. Uh, this episode is also directed by longtime you know Trek director producer David Livingston. And I think it's some of his best work, too, because there's a lot of up-close character stuff in this episode. You know, we don't have to rely on the special effects. We don't have to rely on action. It's all a lot of wordiness, and I think David Livingston directs the hell out of this. He does. I'm going to go back to Michael Taylor for just a second. It really is amazing how um, how great these writers are because two of the best stories in Deep Space Nine, and they're so vastly different. So it shows the talent that Michael Taylor has to be able to write a story like The Visitor and then also be able to write a story like In the Pale Moonlight. Uh, Like you said, it's one of my favorites uh, ever as well. And to hear that he wrote both of those 
It's certainly a credit to him, but it's a credit to the way that writers can write different stories and still knock it out of the park. Now, here's here's the beautiful irony of this episode. So The Visitor was nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Makeup for a Series. And if you can believe this, it lost to Star Trek Voyager, which won for the episode, wait for it, Threshold. <laughs> so the best episode of Deep Space Nine wow. lost to the worst episode of Star <laughs> Trek Voyager. But they're so cute. Sorry. Oh, nice callback to Friday's Child. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's awful. <laughs> uh, I, I just the irony of that is just delicious to me. Uh, it is. It's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> although you know, we have to say that that the makeup that they put on on Tony Todd to look like the elder Jake Cisco mm-hmm. really is just fabulous. I mean, more often than not, old age makeup looks terrible on television. You know, I think of the deadly ears. I think of, uh, oh God, the one where Pulaski gets old. Um, is that loud as a whisper? No, it's not uh, loud as a whisper. It's, uh, uh, it's just bad. <laughs> yeah, the name's not coming to me right now. Somebody will think of it and tweet me and tell me I'm wrong, and that's fine. Um, but usually it's just not great, but this one really sort of nails it. And Tony Todd looks like he's 85 years old. He, all of the different... Um, times that we see him as older it's just little subtle changes with the makeup and it really works i will say i wasn't a huge fan of the elderly uh dax and the elderly nog makeup but i i I shouldn't say makeup because i think that the makeup worked but the uniforms don't in the future it makes them look odd to me i thought bashir looked really good with the old makeup and even the uniform, but I just, I wasn't a fan of the Jadzia and Nog stuff. Um, I don't know why it just, it, to me, it didn't look as awesome as the Tony Todd makeup, which was just incredible. I just don't like those uniforms. They're terrible. Yeah. That's probably the one thing about this episode that I'm like, ugh, and that's those uniforms in the future. So uh, at a high level, let's, you know, let's sort of recap what happens in the episode just as, as by way of discussion. Mm-hmm. So, Jake is, you know, heads down writing something. Benjamin wants him to come see an inversion of the wormhole, which only happens once every 50 years. There's an accident. Benjamin is sort of sucked into subspace or pulled into it by some discharge from the warp core. And everybody thinks he's dead. Dead. Until Jake sees him one night in his quarters. And Jake's, you know, not sure what's going on. And then as we come to find out, Jake is sort of the anchor for for Benjamin because you know Jake was there as part of that accident. And Cisco keeps reappearing at various intervals to Jake. Yes. And he reappears another time on the station when they realize he's really not dead. He's just sort of trapped in in subspace somehow. And this goes as a theme throughout Jake's life until eventually he gets to the end of his life and and decides that he has to sort of break the rubber band when his dad is there to sort of set things right again. Right. That's a good way to put it. Yep. Um, we get to see what this obsession that Jake has with saving his dad causes his life to be like as he's getting older. Cause we got to, we also have to say that the episode is, is kind of a f- flashbacks because the episode opens when Jake is in his nineties or however yeah. old he is. So it's kind of flashbacks about the accident and everything that goes through his life. So we see um, how this obsession caused him to stop writing. It caused him to lose a marriage. It caused him to, to get a doctorate in um, 
quantum mechanics, physics, star stuff, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and we get to see what happens that he basically knows that he has to, for all intents and purposes, commit suicide in order to save his father and himself, which is kind of an interesting twist. Well, and I think Jake's journey in this episode is a very interesting one because I don't know whether he's going through the motions or whether or not he, he does some of these things because they're actually still in his heart. So, you know, he, he, he writes books, he's an author, you know, and he gets back to writing at some point and he gets married. Mm-hmm. Obviously he falls in love and, and, and wants this relationship as part of his life. And then he decides that, you know, he's going to become a scientist, like you say, you know, deal with star stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think his journey is an interesting one. As he gets to an old man, he leaves those things behind because of the relationship with his father. You know, he tells us at the end, he's like, you know, I'm doing this not because of of who I am now, but because of the boy I was. And and that boy needs you, essentially, Mm -hmm. to paraphrase. And uh, I find his journey very interesting. You know, uh, Benjamin clearly wants grandchildren. He makes that known. (laughs) And he does look heartbroken when he says that his marriage didn't last, you know, or that she left him, I think are the words he used. Right. Um, And it it makes me wonder, you know, does Jake goes through several iterations of losing him. And as I'm watching this yesterday for, for uh, for the podcast, I realized that he has to go through losing him again five or six times. Mm-hmm. You know, losing a parent is hard. You know, and I can attest to that because in the last year and a half, I've I've lost a parent, and probably the one I was closest to. And I I stopped to think of it from the perspective of well, if I had to lose my mom again and again and again multiple times over my lifetime, would that cause me to take the same path that Jake was on? Would I become that obsessed with trying to find a way to get her back? And I honestly didn't know how to answer that question. I'm not sure if that makes sense. It does. I think what's interesting about what we see Jake go through is, like you said, most of the time, except in science fiction, we lose a parent once, but he loses a parent multiple times. And you got to think that each time he loses his father, it's worse than the last time. Yeah. Um, Especially because it was very uh, random when, Ben would appear to Jake, uh, they were able to finally kind of get an idea and estimate when it would happen. But so you go through months and then maybe even sometimes years, 14 years, I think was one in between where, where Ben showed up. And then you get to talk to your father again, only knowing that he's going to get zapped back into subspace and you're going to lose him again. And you don't know when you're going to see him again. And you feel guilty because you feel that you're part of the reason why he's stuck in this situation. I can't imagine going through something like that. I, I can't either because I, it's like you said, I have to fe- imagine that each time is worse than the one before it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I look at that scene where um, the, the first time he shows up at the house in the living room mm-hmm. okay. you know, and Benjamin asks if he has grandchildren yes. and you see that sort of excitement and, and, and glow smile. come Yeah. And a smile come across his face you know, he's so happy and relieved to see his son and, and to see that his son's life is progressing. And then, you know, to find out the next time he's there that it didn't go. And you see the pain in Cisco's face. Mm-hmm. Like he wished he'd been there for Jake or he wished there was something he could have done. And it, it's interesting to see those moments played and telegraphed so well by Avery because you feel like you've lived that whole experience with him in a way. 
this is going to sound strange and, and I, I would never want a, a different father than I have watching Avery play Cisco in this episode makes me wish that Cisco was my dad sometimes not. And, and I say that only because he just does such a great job of the relationship between father and son and, and my father and I have a great relationship, but he just does such a great job, but I can't help thinking that, Oh my God, this is such, this is the coolest dad. He's so great. And you see that huge smile on his face when he talks about grandchildren and then zap, he's gone. And then the first thing he asks about when they see each other again is where are those grandchildren we talked about? Oh, we're not together anymore. And like you said, he's just like, Oh, crushed and he, he he can't help but i'm sure feel that he's part of the reason why they're not together anymore so there's some of that guilt factor i bet built into that reaction uh when they see each other in subspace you know it's interesting because as i sit here considering the visitor i i have to wonder why we react to it the way we do you know i said earlier i think that this episode is a little different for men who watch it and i think it's because in its core it is a story about fathers and sons mm-hmm. um you know, I, I've made no secret about the fact that my relationship with my father on this on this podcast was not a great one, and yet I still have, you know, probably the the same reaction you do when I watch it, and that it leaves me a blubbering mess at the end. And I often wonder: is it because I wished I had that level of closeness with my father, or is it because I felt more of a tie to, to Benjamin Cisco than I did to Howard Smith? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, I don't think I am affected the way I am because it makes me think about anything in my life or my relationship with my father. I think it affects me the way it does simply because of how they portray these characters in the story. You can't help but feel the emotion that they're feeling. They do a great job with, with um, uh, showing the audience exactly what their feeling at the time, the sorrow, the guilt, the happiness, it's all wrapped up in, in one episode. And it shows this amazing relationship between Ben and Jake, and you feel part of it. And I think another thing that makes me feel so strongly about this episode, which seems to be the case on a lot of things that we talk about is the musical score. If you have a, if you have a a scene that is, powerful in itself but don't have a powerful musical score behind it i think it completely doesn't have the same type of reaction and the music in this episode is so sad and so wonderful at the same time that it adds to it when when there's specific scenes and we may get into specific scenes but you you just have a particular scene and something happens and then you have that long drawn out start of the sad music that's what gets to me and that's what gets the tears running down my face like constantly like water just look somebody turned on a faucet um and i think that's one of the reasons why it affects me the way it does is because it's so brilliantly acted and brilliantly scored you know we've talked many times about the music being its own character in Mm -hmm. in many of these episodes and i think the visitor is a is a great example of that it's a character that is not up front and in your face Mm -hmm. but it definitely scores the 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 drama in the episode to a point where you are definitely driven to feel more intense feelings as a result of it. Right. Um, I mean, let's let's be honest about this episode. I mean, it is emotional, but I think that the the score only accentuates that and even drives it home even more. I absolutely agree. 
one of the scenes that I think for me is is probably the toughest to watch is the one where Jake is pulled into subspace. Elder Jake, uh, mm-hmm. a more the defiant 50 years in the future. Um, the wormhole is getting ready to go, uh, undergo another inversion. And, uh, you know, they've Nog has hauled the ship out of mothballs and, and <laughs> Dax and Bashir are in engineering with Jake. And they set up this, this, this funky looking thing to sort of maybe channel the energy and, and bring Benjamin out of subspace. But it seems like because of that connection between Jake and, and Benjamin, Jake is brought into subspace with him and they actually share more moments than they probably would have. And it's a discussion that, that is, is hard for me to watch because Ben essentially tells him, look, you know, you need to get back to living your life and, mm-hmm. and stop abandoning your future for me. Right. And that's hard, man. I, um, I, I've, I've had a conversation like that with my mother, um, you know, and it's, it, it was not easy to watch. I'm here to tell you. It's how can you, uh, what can, I, I can't even think of the words to say, but you're sitting there with the chance that you met, this may be the last time you ever see your father again, and he's going to be trapped forever, not aging time, not passing. And he's basically saying, yeah, don't worry about me. Just get on with your life. That's going to be the hardest thing in the world to listen to. But for Ben, it's going to be the hardest thing in the world to say at the same time, because, you know, he's, he, he wants his son to be strong and, and to carry on and, and not blame himself. And I think that's one of the strong uh, messages in that scene, if not the entire episode is it's obvious that Jake blames himself for what's going on. I mean, that he, he says that he's the anchor. He's been dragging his father through time like an anchor. Um, and it is, it is a, it is a great, great scene. It, it reminded me of the Q Picard scenes in tapestry when they were in that, that area of slash heaven slash subspace. Um, but I think this has done far better the, than those scenes in tapestry. I have to agree with you. I um, It's, my worry with a scene like that is that it was going to be a little too heavy handed when mm-hmm. I first watched it. Right. But in, in rewatching it again, I think that that scene in particular is probably the best of the scenes between Tony Todd and Avery Brooks, because, you know, Jake is trying to just, you know, resolve the situation and come up with a fix and get his father back. And it's not until he gets to the end that he realizes that's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And to, to still have that meaningful conversation with his father, um, you know, it, it probably makes the loss seconds later of realizing he's not going to pull him back even mm-hmm. more difficult. Completely separate topic, but kind of related is the way the things that Ben is telling Jake, even at that time, knowing that this may be it, the way that he is as a father in this episode is just so great. One of the scenes that is so incredibly powerful for me is when he appears for the second time and they're able to get him to sick Bay. So he's in sick Bay and Jake is there and, and all the crew is there trying to figure out what they can do, whether it's setting up a subspace or a a force field or, or locking a transporter on him or something like that. Ben is sitting there saying, don't worry about it, Jake. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. They're working to save me. And that's great. The scene, this scene is probably the second most powerful scene for me in the entire movie. And this is an entire episode. And this is when I really start getting choked up because Ben says, Hey, how you doing? 
and the look of pain and anguish on Jake's face as he starts crying and Ben just grabs his head and pulls him to him and they kind of like just hug that. Oh my God, that scene just, it, it's, it kills me every time. Ciroc is masterful in this scene. Cause we talk a lot about Jake is Tony, Tony Todd is Jake in, in the majority of this episode, but for the parts that Ciroc is playing his character, Jake, Oh my God, he does such a great job. And this is, this is the best one right here. You know, you figure Ciroc Lofton is still really young comparatively mm-hmm. when this, this episode is shot and his reactions, like you say, they're spot on. You felt what Jake was feeling at that particular time. Yeah. You know, you wanted to break down in tears with him because he was just that emotionally eviscerated. Yeah. You know? And he yeah. just, he, he really, you're right. He does a 100% beautiful job. I have to agree. And he does it without saying anything. He just, he yeah. just has the look because in the same scene, when Ben disappears and he's being held back by, I believe it was, it was either O'Brien or Bashir. Um, when he disappears, he kind of jumps forward and just yells, no, it's not the same emotional um, reaction for me as it is when he's just starting to cry when his dad asks how he's doing. Yeah. No, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. yeah. So ultimately, Jake decides that he needs to make the ultimate sacrifice to bring his father home. Mm-hmm. And I have to figure, I mean, because we're left to, to deduce this in the script, that probably some point not long after the experiment with the defiant, he probably makes this decision Mm -hmm. and you figure he's got to wait all of that time. Yeah. You figure he's he's in his sixties at that point, probably because it's Mm -hmm. been, he's a teenager on the defiant, you know, during the, when the accident happens, they have to wait 50 years. Right. So he's probably late sixties, close Mm -hmm. to 70. Yep. And he's got to wait that much longer for another opportunity to see his father. So he's got to prolong his life long enough for his father to be in the room to end his life. And when you think about it in those terms, that's, that's really, really overwhelming and sad. It is the amount you just made me think about it. The amount of stress he has to make sure that, you know, nothing happens to him by accident during yeah. this entire time. You know, he can't get hit by a shuttlecraft or, or a transporter accident or any of these millions of things that could happen. That's why they're called accidents. He has to go through his whole life. Is he, is he like super careful? Is he like, does he turn into a person who stays in his, in his house all the time because he's afraid to go out? We don't see that, but it certainly could be the case. I mean, we see what his house is like when he's old Jake uh, at the very beginning of the episode and the very end of the episode. There's a lot of stuff there. Is he kind of like a hermit because he, didn't want anything to happen to him while he was waiting for this particular night. Yeah. And he knows it has to be that particular night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not going to have another chance. He he won't have another chance because he mm-hmm. won't live that long. Right. So he has to end his life at that moment when the bond is the strongest in order to reset everything. Um, I, I get choked up just thinking about it in those terms because um, just the pain and the suffering and the obsession that he must have felt through those, I don't know, 14, 15, 20 years, whatever, um, had to be unbearable to most humans. Absolutely. But at the same time, and as weird as this is going to sound, let's just talk about my favorite scene of the entire episode now, since we're talking about different aspects of it. It is the end scene. The whole discussion, first of all, the, the the look on Ben's face as he's just watching his his son who's twice his age sleeping is is the quintessential example of the relationship with those two people 
he's looking at him with such love. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. You get to see the relief on Jake's face when he talks about for you and the boy that I was, he needs you more than you know. He knows that this is going to set everything back so that they will have the relationship. He had to go through his entire life without his father, and now he's able to get it so that they will be able to have that life together, even though he won't remember it, and Ben will. It's just unbelievable. Tony Todd, I said to you in the outtakes when we recorded earlier, Tony Todd's pretty much crying in every single scene of this episode. That episode, or excuse me, that particular scene at the end where he's just about to die, but yet he's still talking to his dad. The inscription that he puts in the book, the dedication for my father who's coming home. Oh my God. I just, it's just so, so well acted, well written, well performed. And it's, it's a great ending to that Timeline's not the right word, but uh, it's 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 perfectly done. It is it is so Star Trek that particular scene, and you know what, Bill? People people have problem with the episode because it is it is someone taking their own life. But I, I don't care. That scene is just the definition of what Star Trek is supposed to be all about. You know, you you mentioned the dedication, and I got to tell you, that's the part that that literally gets me every single time to the point where I go from crying a little bit to waterworks Mm -hmm. because you see Ben read the dedication and he doesn't get it at first. Yeah. And then he realizes, right. Right. And he knows now what's going to occur. And I I guess, well, we'll, we'll we'll move into this part of the discussion. Now this is, uh, you know, a, a parent, a parent's ultimate horror. You know, Benjamin's pain in this episode is that no parent ever wants to survive their child mm-hmm. and he has to watch this happen. And right. it's like you said just a second ago, the thing that makes this episode so beautiful and not, a, not I mean, it's a reset button episode to some extent, but so part of this episode gets carried forward, not with Jake because Jake has no recollection of what happened, right. but Benjamin remembers everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He he knows exactly what's happened. I mean, that's why he ducks. That's why he holds Jake and his voice breaks at the end of the episode. It happens because he knows. He saw his son get old. He saw his son take his own life. And the only reason he wound up back there is because Jake died. Yeah. I mean, at the moment we get back to the engineering on the Defiant, that's what's transpired. Jake is mm-hmm. dead. Yeah. And Benjamin just saw it with his own eyes. Mm-hmm. And no parent wants to see that. I'm not a parent myself. But I know enough to know that no parent wants to see that. And it, 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 it's kind of, you know, because of the wonders of science fiction and the writing, he's watching his child, like I said a little while ago, who's twice his age, yeah. die. doesn't matter. doesn't matter if the child's so, you know, obviously supposed to be younger than the parent, but that's not the case. But it doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't matter. And, and it's, it's, it's heart. It's heart wrenching to watch that that episode at times, but in such a good way. You know, I we've had people you know say to us that really the flaw in the episode is that Jake doesn't remember, and I think that's the beauty of the episode. Um, Jake shouldn't remember. Mm-hmm. True. Um, I, I think that the fact that Benjamin does is why this episode works for me so well, because he he gets to experience some of that pain, and I think that it just it 
whatever bond they had, which was incredibly strong before is inexorably strong now, stronger now. Sure. And you got to wonder, does that, does that knowing what happened affect Ben going forward? Do we see any subtle changes in him in the rest of the series? Uh, it's never spoken of again. It's never brought up again. He's never thinking about it again that we know of in any scene. But you got to think that that somehow changes how he does things going forward. We just never really see it. Well, and here's the thing I wonder too. So, you know, um, three and, 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 you know, uh, three quarters ep- you know, seasons later, or I should say four seasons later, because it's the beginning of season four, the end of season seven, Benjamin is taken from Jake. Mm-hmm. Jake doesn't get the opportunity to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And at the end, we see a, a scene with him and Kira. The very last shot of, of the episode is right. looking out the, 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 the window at, at space and the camera does the long pullback. And it makes me wonder, how did Jake respond to losing his father? Because I know how he reacted in this instance. It makes me wonder if if he became as inconsolable or if he was in a better spot because he had those extra years. I tend to think of it as the latter. I think he's in a better spot because he had the latter years. And he also knows, based on the fact that Cassidy saw him, that he's not really gone. He's just busy. <laughs> for lack of a better word. He's a little tied up. <laughs> He's, yeah, with the profits. But um, So maybe that's a little something that um, consoles him a little bit, that he's not really gone forever um, because, you know, with the profits, time is non-existent. But uh, it's it's a good question, man. You see, make people think in these podcasts, and I, I appreciate that. Well, you know, that's something that didn't come to me until yesterday. Hmm. That's interesting, you know, because I, I watch, uh, I have to be really strategic as to when I watch this episode, because mm-hmm. I know I'm going to be a blubbering mess afterwards. Right. Right. And you know, it's, it's like, well, do I, what do I want to do after this? Do I just want to sit on the sofa and, and go through a box of Kleenex or do I want to go out and see the world? And I really don't want to do the latter. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what, why, why are your eyes all red? Are you, is your nose <laughs> running? Uh, I just watched the visitor. Um, <laughs> Because it's that kind of reaction. It is. Um, but yeah, when I was thinking about this episode after watching yesterday, I'm like, well, I wonder how Jake reacted at the end of what you, or after what you leave behind. Um, it just, it was something I hadn't thought of in that way before. So I thought it was interesting. When you said that, I actually was like, oh my God, he's got to be like again. But then again, he doesn't remember the first time. Yeah. So, he yeah. doesn't remember this at all. So right. like I say, in a way it's a reset button, but because Benjamin you know, knows that they're getting a second chance in a way. It's mm-hmm. really not a reset button for me because all is not as it was before. Benjamin right. has changed. Right. Exactly. Now I don't want to get off on a tangent too much because yeah. we're going to talk about the finale. But one of the things that always bothered me about the finale is that Cassidy got to see him and not Jake. No, I agree with that. Um, because you know, that, that love story of Benjamin and Jake runs throughout all seven seasons. Right. And it's, uh, it makes me wonder if it, it's something that was left on the cutting room floor or if they just didn't have time or if, if that scene never existed. That's something I've always wondered. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe, uh, maybe if we ever get the chance to ask that question of Ira at a convention or something, or, um, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll take that opportunity. But, uh, um, the thing I do like about this episode before we talk about individual performances is that, uh, there's a great object lesson in this 
episode and it comes up twice. Uh, once when, when Benjamin says it to Jake and once when Jake says it to, um, to Melanie, it's, uh, it seems to me I'd want to poke my head up every once in a while and take a look around, see what's going on. It's life. If you, and you can miss it if you don't open your eyes. Wow. Yeah. And, and I don't know when I realized it because it's been a while since I watched it just, and then I watched it this past weekend is when Jake says that to Melanie brilliant performance by Andrew Robinson's daughter, by the way. Um, I'm like, that's the same thing that Cisco said to Jake when he was a kid. And it yeah. just, it, it, it's done so subtly by, by elder Jake that I'm sure some people could miss it. You know, and you know what I take from this is that life is unbelievably short. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's, it's funny because we went to Star Trek Las Vegas, um, uh, uh, as we record this about a month ago and, you know, I got to two STLV exclusive, you know, uh, Discovery Toys in, in packages that said STLV 2018 exclusive. Right. One of was a vinyl USS Discovery. The other one was a three-inch Michael Burnham figure uh, from Titans Enterprises or whatever. Titans Merchandise, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And after I watched this episode, I opened the box on Burnham. I wasn't going to. Okay. And I can sum this episode up for my fandom. And you know what it is? It's open the toy. Nice. You know, I've got a whole box uh, or I've got the Rubbermaid storage tubs filled with action figures, mint on card, or at least new on card. And you know what? They're not serving any purpose. Right. They're just on a card. Yep. So at some point, I'm opening those things up because you know what? Life is short. Yeah. The, what is it? They lose the value if you open them. So you bought them so that you could have them. The value is I love these things. You know, yeah. the value is, is that it's life and it's worth enjoying and worth living. And that's what I take from this episode. Um, You know, you, you can miss it if you don't open your eyes and open your eyes could mean just about anything. And in this case for me, it's, it's open the box. I like that. I think we're going to go forward with that one, man. Hashtag open the box. I love it. So let's talk about performances, Dan. We'll start with Avery Brooks because I think we have to end uh, with a longer discussion on Tony Todd. Um, Avery is, is understated and brilliant in this episode. You know, his Benjamin Cisco is not one that, you know, uh, he's not floating around like Kirk in the Tholian web. Um, <laughs> you know, he's got a lot to say. He's got a lot to do in this episode. Mm-hmm. And every line he has is punctuated with, with Benjamin's love for Jake. And it's, it's, it's delivered so perfectly. A lot of people sometimes, especially in season one, talk about how Avery tends to overact his character a little bit with yeah. his enunciation and how he how he verbalizes his lines. And I'll tell you what, I don't want any actor ever doing anything different than what Avery does, not only throughout the series, but specifically in this episode. His he's he's strong, but he's very um soft in the way that he brings his lines across. He does them with perfection and he goes through that roller coaster of emotion just like Jake does, but he's able but he does it in a way that you really feel what it's like to be Jake's father through Avery's performance as Ben Cisco. It's just it's just 
like we talked about the smile when he's talking about the grandchildren and, and the, and, and comforting Jake that everything's going to be okay and telling Jake to get on with his life and let him go. That's what, that's one of the things he says, let go Jake. That's another strong moment. He's doing this for the good of his own son. And the way that I, I wish Avery had gotten nominated for an Emmy for this as well as Tony. I mean, cause it's just, it's just that good a job for both performances. Avery is Avery is you know the consummate professional, um, and, and some would say that maybe his performance in Far Beyond the Stars is better. Um, I, I would agree with that on some level because it's different. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, because he's it, it's the Benny Russell character that gets to people in that episode, not necessarily the Benjamin Cisco one. Right. Uh, whereas this one is is probably some of the best Benjamin Cisco we get to see. It's it's not yelling Cisco. It's not in command of a starship or a, a space station Cisco. It's the role that that he loves the most, and it, it's his father. Mm-hmm. And it, it is they are some of the best written father son scenes or, or family scenes in Star Trek, um, regardless of the circumstance. Avery just shines in yeah. in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, now to say you know that he gets uh, you know uh, amazing performance opposite him from Tony Todd is really the understatement of the year. Um, I agree with you. Tony Todd should have been nominated for an Emmy for this episode um, because his performance as Jake is just probably one of the highlights of of, of his work, at least mm-hmm. as, from my perspective as a fan. You and I got the opportunity to meet Tony Todd in Springfield, Massachusetts in the summer of 2017 at a really small horror convention. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that struck me about Tony Todd to begin with is, you know, he is this towering figure. Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> he looks like he is this, you know, this intense and imposing guy. But my word, what a gentle giant of a man he is! Yeah, absolutely. It was it was so great uh, to be able to talk to him. And one of the things that I think was was amazing. First of all, let me let me before I get back to that story, Bill. Let me say one thing. We've seen in Deep Space Nine the obvious love that Sirak and Avery had for each other as these care as as people but also in doing these characters of father and son and man i gotta tell you it doesn't look like there was any drop off in the relationship when tony was playing jake it's as if there's it was if the relationship with sirak was as cemented with tony as it was for sirak when it comes to how avery performed the scene but um getting back to that meeting in springfield what was so amazing is we talked to him for a little while uh we got a couple pictures with him and then i believe it was you who brought up the visitor and 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 what an amazing performance and what a great episode it was and we were both shocked when tony started crying yeah yeah it, it was just amazing because the episode means a great deal to him as well personally um, because he had to experience losing um, a loved one right around the time that the episode was being filmed. If I remember correctly, I could be getting my dates a little off. No, it was his aunt, and his aunt essentially raised him as a child, and she had died only three months before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so this episode really still it, it means a lot to him, to the point where now, 25, or at that point almost 25 years later, it brought him to tears. Yeah. And he had to stop talking to us. I mean, put his hand up and, you know, had to wipe away tears. And, you know, uh, for him, this is, you know, uh, an experience that he's never forgotten. And I think yeah. that um, I, I can appreciate that to know that that, that was behind it. You yeah. know, this was the first thing he did after her 
after right. her funeral. And, you know, it's like he, he said, this script got me out of my shell. It was like she was whispering to me, get back to work. Sure. Um, so he feels an amazing connection to the story, which I think is incredibly evident in his performance. I think by far I mean, we've been we've been lucky enough to, as Star Trek fans to see Tony in a variety of different roles in Star Trek. And this is for me by far his best performance in any Star Trek episode, I think. Yeah. No, I, I'm going to agree with that, hands down. Um, so normally we examine central questions, and this episode is no exception. Um, I think I know both of our answers to this because we've said it before, but is this truly Star Trek's greatest love story? Well, you know, we've we've talked about things before on the podcast about how there can be these these episodes of or or stories about people falling in love and everything but this love story when you look at it is one that we've seen since episode one day one opening two minutes of the first episode of deep space nine this relationship between father and son is a very strong one and it's it grows before our very eyes throughout the series and and i'm not saying that it's downhill from here but this is the this is the top of the mountain episode in showing this relationship between Jake uh, and Ben. So I do think it is it is the greatest love story in Star Trek simply because of what we've seen before and what we see here. We all, People s- tend to think the greatest love story has to be between people that are having a romantic relationship, and that's definitely not the case, and this is the perfect example of why. I think for me, this is Star Trek's greatest love story because it is about a love that lasts longer than a lifetime. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that bond between parent and child is one that, you know, usually transcends death. Sure. And I think that it's, it's one that obviously it's not romantic, but I think it's, it's much deeper than, than romances, as you say. Um, and I think it's something that really hadn't been demonstrated in Star Trek before. Um, so for me, uh, hands down, I think this is Star Trek's greatest love story. I think that, you know, the sitting on the edge of forever is, is a fantastic story, but I think that for me, this is, is better. And that takes me to my next question is, is this, ep- when you consider some of the best episodes of the other series, and I'm just going to throw out some names like sitting on the edge of forever. And all these are debatable. I mean, some people may think that there are better episodes than this that are the best episodes of series, but I'm just throwing out episodes that, that are weighted and have lots of meaning. City uh, on the Edge, The Inner Light from Next Gen. Oh, yes. Uh, Timeless from Voyager. That's a fantastic episode. It is. And Similitude from Enterprise. And these are all four heavy hitter episodes that are gut-wrenching in their own ways. Is the visitor better than all of these episodes or better than what is perceived as the best episodes of those series. I think it is personally. Um, I can't remember if when we did our best of discussion, if I picked inner light over time, uh, over, um, over the visitor. And the more I, I think about it because I put a lot of thought into it before I actually watched the episode this week. I really think it is the shining moment in star Trek television uh the inner light has it's probably uh, it's probably a close number two and as we've said before when we've talked about various top five top tens 
any given day of the week, I could swap those depending on the mood I'm in. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're that they're that close. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right now, I would go with Visitor, and maybe it's because it's fresh in my mind, and maybe it's because we just watched it. But I think we've always put this one right up there at the top. And and I know that when we spoke with Dayton last week, when I said that this is the best episode of Star Trek ever, I could tell that he was kind of like, ah, I don't know about that, and that's fine. You can have uh, uh, varying opinions and everything, but. Um, I don't think any of the Voyager or Enterprise episodes uh, stack up to those like Inner Light or Visitor. Um, Similitude is good. I I hadn't even actually thought of that one when I was thinking about best episodes of sp- particular series. The one with um, uh, I can't think of the name of it for right now, but when uh, when Archer has short term memory loss or long term memory loss, um, and basically T'Pol takes care of him for so many years in the future during the Zindi War after Earth gets destroyed. We did that. That's, one. Yeah. yeah, we did. That's a very very strong episode. But uh, in terms of best episodes, best Star Trek story. Um, emotion, um, something that you can feel completely immersed into. I don't know if there's one better than this. I really can't say that there is. I have to say that there's probably not um, one better than this. I, I, at least I, I can't. I can't imagine one. And I struggle to think of Enterprise and Voyager episodes that were uh, better. Yeah, uh, for for one of a better word. Um, uh, you know, I picked those two because I know they're they're fantastic episodes. I know that they're they're emotional episodes. Very, very emotional. But you know, it's a it, it's it's almost a crime to some Star Trek fans to say that something is better than the Sitting on the Edge of Forever or Devil in the Dark or whatever. Um, and I have to say that this episode stands head and shoulders above those ones simply because of of the weight of it. That's just well, my feeling, though. You know, that's what I love about having these conversations with you, Bill, is that people can have varying opinions about what they think is the best and what they don't think is the best. But as Star Trek fans, one of the things I like for the most part and all the places that we have conversations and go and and read and post about is people do it in a very respectful manner. Um, You can go online to to Twitter and other places and you're going to have the trolls that are always going to do what they do. But I think to be able to have the conversation and maybe we should have brought in somebody on this conversation who doesn't think that it's one of the best and get that discussion of why. But I like the fact that we can both talk about it. We both agree with it, which is always a good thing. But I'm sure there are people out there, like you said, that it's sacrilege to say the city on the edge of forever is not the number one episode of Star Trek and always will be hands down. You can't say anything about it anymore. Well, and I think this is the kind of thing I'm not necessarily interested in a debate on. I mean, people have asked us that at various times. Well, you should bring somebody else on to talk about the other side. It's like our podcast isn't about the other side. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, Star Trek through the lens of of how we see it, you know, based on our friendship. Right. And there are times where we agree with things and times where we don't. Um, but it just so happens that we agree on this one. Yeah. You know, it's we're not a cable news show. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, uh, if I go back to infinite diversity and infinite combinations or the champion rule, like you say, um, it makes sense that somebody's not going to like this episode because it's just a law of averages. Absolutely. Yep. You Someone's know. and somebody's favorite is somebody's least favorite. That's yeah. quite, this could possibly be somebody's least favorite episode of Star Trek ever. How I cannot even fathom, but I'm sure there's somebody out there. And, and I get that that may be the case. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe there's something about this episode that really just rubs them the wrong way. I don't know. But if I look at this episode as a whole, from writing to production to performance to the actual finished product, 
it's it's damn near perfect in my mind and mm-hmm. and the fact that even now 25 years later or nearly 25 years later that I still am reduced to a a sobbing mess when I watch it I think says something about this episode overall absolutely 100% agree slobbering mess right here too <laughs> hashtag slobbering mess <laughs> Dan you know what else leaves us as a slobbering mess is the awesomeness of five-year mission. We love those guys. Their music is so amazing and so incredible. We can't thank them enough. They are, their music is in every episode of Trek geeks and discovering Trek. We are grateful and fortunate to have that be the case. We want everyone to head on over to fiveyearmission.net, download all their albums, maybe order some CDs, get those shipped to you so you can stick them in, you know, your, your CD player, your disc man, if you still have one of those, Whoa, I know, right. <laughs> um, maybe, uh, you can even put on cassette tape, listen to it on your Sony Walkman. That would be good. <laughs> wow. Uh, maybe on your transistor radio. Okay. It's music for all generations of Star Trek fans. <laughs> They're writing one song for every episode of the original series. And Dan, this isn't parody. These are original compositions that really look at these episodes in a different way. So fiveyearmission.net, score yourself some amazing tunes, yo. I agree 100%. I've been listening to year four in my truck uh, off and on over the last week and a half or so when I'm uh, not listening to podcasts, and um, it's it's awesome stuff. I'm going to be real short and sweet this week, Bill, because I know that you need a little bit of a break with this stuff. But, <laughs> yeah, the visitor's awesome. Can you imagine how different – the visitor could have been though, if the wormhole had gone through a subspace infarction instead of an inversion, that could have been really bad. I'm about to go through an infarction right now. (laughs) I, Oh my Uh, word. I, I know. I just, I, I can only hope that you get dragged into subspace, (laughs) but that means that I won't age and I'll be with you forever. No, no, I'm going to be nowhere near you when this happens. You can be somebody else's anchor. <laughs> wow. and man, man, are you an anchor? <laughs> uh, lovely, lovely. Dragging me down. I mean, hey, buddy. Yeah, love you too. Great job today. But yeah, that's fiveyearmission.net. Get yourself all the tunes. Dan, next week, we're going to continue celebrating Deep Space Nine's 25th anniversary with a look at two amazing characters. Absolutely, we are. You know, there's been a lot of talk lately, and I, I remember hearing a lot of talk uh, in STLV about an amazing topic simply called the women of Star Trek. And I think it's a great topic, and there are certainly amazing female uh, characters in Star Trek. So next week, we're going to take a look at two in particular, the amazing Kira and the wonderful Dax. Next week on Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. Thank you, Herbie slash Hermie the Elf. I really appreciate that. <laughs> you know, these are two characters who are probably the first incredibly strong female characters in Star Trek. Yes. We've talked about that with the Nav Visitor early, in the early days of this podcast. Um, but I think it's time to give them some special focus because I think that they were groundbreaking in their own way. And we get to talk about that in depth next week on an all new Trek Geeks. Woohoo! Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. So many great podcasts over there, Dan. Uh, Weekly Trek, Reading Trek, you know... uh, Polytrek. Polytreks, Queer Treks, um, you name it. They're doing it. Trek Ranks, Trek Trek Profiles, uh, all of the Star Trek podcasts you could ever want that aren't ours 
mm. at the drycordertransmissions.com. <laughs> Guaranteed something for everybody. Please check them out. And of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been the 150th episode of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut. That's it. Little oh. flashback. Hey, that works, man. I like it. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producer, Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong. What's up? Caught you by surprise. I was looking at the walls, kind of bare. Your face, your face is bare. Actually, no, it's, no, not. it's not. Dummy. That makes Jeez. no sense. You're a dummy. Is this yeah, what so, we like today? Totally. So I'm noticing a trend with you. Mm. Now that you've moved into this beautiful new home of yours, mm-hmm. um, you pick the hottest and most humid days of the year to record the podcast. Hmm. Interesting. Because you have central air, mm. and I do not. <laughs> I, I, I apologize. I don't. I didn't realize that it was uh, hot and humid this morning. Since I'm up here in my lovely 72 degree podcast studio, air conditioners on my foot right now. I got my foot on the vent, so I get a nice little breeze on my toes, my little, my little t- face. And it's wow. You get you. That's not put that away. <laughs> Just to clarify, I'm flipping you the bird right now before anybody thinks it's anything else. Wow. Yeah, I didn't realize it was supposed to be humid again today because it was so awesome yesterday. Well, the humidity trended up a little bit yesterday as we get into weather talk here on the Trek Geeks podcast. Mm. Don um, Kent, Bruce Schwegler. Bruce Schwegler. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, if we're not talking about Cardi's furniture, it's WBC TV 4. <laughs> Don Kent used to bank with me. Really? Yeah, in the days like uh, where he was pretty much retired and living in the Lakes region, uh, he would do weather for uh, a radio station up in Laconia, New Hampshire, uh, WLNH, 98.3 on your FM dial. Mm-hmm. And um, he would do weather for them pretty much exclusively. Um, and then he would branch out to a few more stations. But he was living in the Lakes region, and he would come to my bank. And wow. uh, I would see him occasionally. Him and also uh, Bob Wilson, the former voice of the Boston Bruins. Yes. It's funny. Now, for those of you who may not be in the New England area and are asking, who is this Don Kent fellow? He was, an, uh, he was a meteorologist back in the day where they had sliding maps and they used markers to draw the weather on the map. That's how long ago it was. None of this computerized stuff. Don Kent was considered the dean mm-hmm. of meteorologists in New England because, you know, WBZ was the first TV station in the New England area. Right. And then there was Al Caprillion. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Precha. <laughs> so wow. Al lives he, in our town. He lives in Merrimack? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to go find him and say hi. Uh, if you ever go to the Shaw's um, on, on Daniel Webster, um, you'll see him occasionally. Oh. Red Sox baseball brought to you by Shaw's. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't listen to Red Sox on the radio. Uh, that's Joe 
Castiglione. Uh, I can't stand that guy. He, he dude, I, I, I've listened to him for decades. He needs to retire. It's time. When he needed, be, you ahead. know how I am with stats and stuff like that. You need to make sure that you get your stuff right. And when he makes mistakes like he does on the broadcast about Red Sox stats and scores and what's going on at that particular moment, I get a little irritated. And I realize we've just lost an entire chunk of our audience that could not care any less about <laughs> Boston sports than than they already don't care. Yeah, it's the outtake. But uh, <laughs> it's the outtake. Um, what's, what cemented my opinion for Joe Castiglione was the, the first Red Sox victory after oh, 86 years in the World God, Series. That was just so lame. And the Red Sox are world champions. You compare that to the Patriots Super Bowl, yeah, the first one they ever won yeah. with Gil Santos, where he is coming unhinged yep. and screaming into the microphone, and that's all I need to know about. It's Gilson good. Santos. It's good. It's good. The Patriots are world champions. <laughs> Can you believe it? Oh, yeah. Can you believe it? The Red yeah. Sox are world champions. <laughs> Just a bit outside, ball four. Okay. That's ball enough. eight. That's enough. Of ball 16. That's in, that ball 16 is never actually said in the movie, but I know I what know. you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I always carry it for, plus I was saying it is Joe Castiglione and not Bob Buecher. Mm-hmm. But Joe Castiglione would go, <laughs> ball 16. Jeez. <laughs> oh, anyway. It's just smarmy. It's smarmy. Smarmy. Wow. That's a good word. I'm going to use that today in, in at least five random sentences. Please not during the podcast. Oh, I had four of them all lined up. Forget <laughs> it. Ah. <laughs> no, I know that's a lie because you don't think that fast. Oh, hey, come on now. I'd be thinking good, yo. Yeah, okay, Univac. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that because not only are you old. Yeah, I am. Not only can you do math. I can't. But you're also as big as a room. Uh, wow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, um, I would like to thank my illustrious co-host for starting the morning off on such a positive note. Hey, uh, now, I I'm as big able, as three Univacs, okay? I haven't been able to go to the gym for two and a half weeks because of my back, and now he's saying I'm as large as a room, so obviously things are catching up with me. Dude, I'm as big as an entire building. Come on. Your heart is as big as an entire building. Uh Wow. No. Either that means that, that you're really full of love or your chest is going to explode and you're going to have a heart attack. One or the it's, other. I'm not sure. It's probably the latter. <laughs> no, no, watch next week. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, you're going to feel like crap. Oh, the orb of prophecy was right. And Dan's like, I have Trek Geeks all to myself now. <laughs> oh, I couldn't do it without you. You'd find a way, but I couldn't do it without you. <laughs> I hate oh, you so much. I know. It's it's my gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's your gift. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I um, I cried Friday night. Mm-hmm. I rewatched this yesterday. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Waterworks. And, and we'll talk about this later. You know what scene really gets me? The first time? Okay, mm-hmm. well, let me ask you this. Maybe we'll just talk about this now. We won't talk about this during. Well, the- I do want to talk about it during the show too, because yes. What's the first scene where you find yourself in tears? Pretty much the opening teaser when he's not as not as much, but when he says the worst thing that could ever happen to a young man, my father died. Because Tony Todd always has tears in his eyes almost the entire episode, yeah. but the one that really starts getting to me is when they're in sick bay and Ben says, how are you doing Jake? And the look on Jake's fa- 
face uh. and the pain and anguish, and Ben just grabs his head. Oh, God. <laughs> you know what scene gets me? And, like, really right in the feels is the one where Norris is talking to Jake. Up on the pylon? Yeah, or in front of that window, and it's really, it's very darkly lit. You see mostly their silhouettes. Yes. And the conversation they have just really just mm-hmm. just rips my heart out. It yep. is yep. it is such a wonderful scene, and I love the way they shot that because it is unlike anything that they've ever done in Deep Space Nine. It's funny that you say that because as that scene was playing when I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, it's really cool how it's just their silhouettes, and you can see Kira's nose ridges, and then how he says that if I leave, then I don't have anything left of him to hold on to, and she just like they just like touch foreheads. It, oh, it's, it's so good. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, that 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 sounded good. <laughs> A little maple cream coffee. Oh, <laughs> hey, at least well, it's they, not maple coconut cream, right? Oh, that's the only way you could double down on that and make it worse. <laughs> Jeez. Oh goodness gracious! Yeah, this is going to be a good conversation. Boy. Yeah, your your face is a good conversation. It is. It is. I appreciate that. All right, you ready to do this, jerk? Isa.